Jim Joyce. No. What? Where's Jim Joyce? I've transformed. Chandana, you've transformed. Love it. Chandana Fitzgerald. That's what I'm going to say from now on. Oh, I, I love that. Thank you. So, uh, Thanks Jim, for having me on the, the shot. Yeah, no, uh, we, you know, last week we, Jim and I skipped and I ended up cheating on Jim with Matthew Holt taking over Jess DeMassa in the health tech deals. And then, you know, Jim this week, you know, Mr. Public Company CEO, he happens to be in the plane. Um, and there's nobody better because there's also, uh, you know, reasons for it, which we'll get to. So my, my yes. co-host here. So welcome. Well, thank you. It's my pleasure. And, you know, Jim may never get a spot back. So he has endangered himself by bringing someone so awesome in his it. place. Right. Love, love it. Love it. Love it. Um, yeah. And just maybe a quick, uh, uh, Marina and I just kind of came back from the American Telemedicine Association uh, conference. It was pretty well attended. Uh, Anmon Johnson did an amazing job and her team. Um, lo lots of so many virtual care companies. I can't even keep up. Uh, yeah. Really can't keep up. And when you say uh, virtual care, is it just kind of virtual care via teleconsult sort of thing? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, it was a packed trade floor with companies, but of course, you know, the, the you know, the, the, the larger telemedicine uh, companies were there as well. Um, but uh, anyway, I don't know if you have any, I haven't even looked at the news. We've been traveling. We just got to New York today. So yeah. Then... Um, what's up with me? Yeah, you're right. It's so busy, right? In terms of, um, yeah, I don't think there's any crazy stormy news brewing. The only thing coming up and I have to give a shout out is in three weeks time, we have the Health Excel Global Gathering in Barcelona. So that's right. Welcome to Just, my new I home. I love dropping those every, everywhere I go. Absolutely. <laughs> Um, on, on the note of uh, having awesome people around, um, we're going to let in our guest. And again, we'll get to the reasoning, all of this, why, just keeping people on their toes. Um, we're going to let in Mr. Chris Bergstrom, who I don't know. I don't, I don't know if you've met him. I know you've no, met. Actually, uh, this is my first, first meeting with Chris. There you go. Look at that. We introduced Chris and Chandana. We introduce Chandana to Chris. Welcome to the shop, Mr. Bergstrom. Chandana, nice to meet you. Eugene, good Great to see you. Great to meet you, Chris, finally. <laughs> we I love all the amalgam um, signage and colors in the backdrop. This is our satellite office in Maryland. Nice. Right. Well, well, we'll explain towards the end of the episode of, of this perfect trio right here i'm, I'm kind of glad jim couldn't make it today so i i know chris you were probably you know missing out on jim but you know you can chat with him anytime plus he's a busy busy ceo um fl flying today so welcome to the shot and for our millions of listeners and viewers chris tell us uh your your story the well, one that first, you're gonna I stick mean, with i mean happy hump day right that's right. That's right. Happy hump day. May the fourth be with you. <laughs> May, oh, today someone on the team said something really funny. May the fourth be with you. It's fourth of May. May be with you. And, and I learned from my son, camels don't actually have water in their humps. I, I was blown away. It's um, they huh. just store fat and then they're amazing at converting the fat to water as needed. Water. So so there's your trivia for the day. It took me um, well over 40 years to learn that. 
I'm can't actually even. jotting that down. Trivia for the day. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Awesome. And, and, and do we do our shots soon? Um, so I'm doing a coffee shot, but you, you feel free. I actually stopped pretty much drinking. So, uh, you know, the shot now is up to you, whatever you want to take a shot of. If that works for you. Uh, I have well, a lot I've, of shots. I've got my blue chair rum, Kenny Chesney's rum. That's it's kind of nice. my favorite yep. rum. And Shanahan, I brought you some uh, Jameson. Nice. Ireland, right? So yes. thoughtful, Chris. So thoughtful. Love it. Um, so let, let's uh, let's get in there, Chris. Give us give us a little bit of your story. What the background? Where did you come from? Go yeah. as far back as you want, or as, as recent. You know, the, the millions of viewers and listeners are anxiously waiting. <laughs> yeah, can I just clarify that, Eugene? When did we hit a million? No, we. I don't know. It's fake news, uh, but whatever. After after this one. Yeah, after, after this, this one, one. exactly. <laughs> Oh, and, and congratulations on the news, Eugene. I mean, this is awesome. Season two, uh, you're a brave man, and the world's um, going to benefit from it. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll get to that, and hence the trio. But, uh, yeah, thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, I'm excited about it. I, you know, we'll, we'll keep the listeners hanging a bit to, to hear more <laughs> on what, what, what Chris is talking about. <laughs> well, um, I, I don't know. I mean, about my self if anyone is interested i i like to work on kind of what's around the corner but but i've learned over the years they say you know if you're five years ahead of everyone you're a lunatic but if you're five minutes ahead of everybody you're a genius so i've been i've been trying to figure out where that balance is in digital health i i started digital health digital therapy work before the iphone so i i was clearly a lunatic and, um, you know, by the time I made it to consulting at BCG, I, I definitely learned that, you know, the five minute uh, rule was, was much more successful. And, um, but, and that's where Eugene and I met, but right. as an entrepreneur, it's somewhere in the middle, right? So I think the most value creation is, is somewhere like one to two years before we turn the corner and everyone knows what's going on. And, uh, and that, that's where I'm spending my, my time now. I'm working on solutions that are in the market, that work, that are kind of past that chasm, but are just still at the growth pivot point. I, I, I love it right there. And, and that is kind of my, my personal passion. So I know you kind of really skipped forward and through it, but how did you even come into this space? Like, what's your, you know, yeah. what did you study? What, you know, how did, uh, yeah, you know, because there's I'm lots of entrepreneurs that are watching this and, you know, want to learn from, from our guests. Yeah. You know, I was a business guy since a little, little kid selling, uh, you know, my coloring uh, drawing <laughs> neighbors. But um, you know, so I went to school. I didn't want to study biology and chemistry any more than I had to. I didn't want to be a physician. I have enormous respect for clinicians and triathletes. So the only two groups of people that I think are always honest with you because they got no time for any BS, right? Um, <laughs> Interesting. So, so I really appreciate that. There, um, but when I uh, when I did ten years in kind of med tech and pharma, then there was a moment in time, and I was working at Beckton Dickinson. And it was around 2006, and I was given the opportunity to go do a true white space project. You know, the first time in my career where I wasn't trying to figure out what to do with a product or how to push, you know, the red one over the blue one. It was just what is, what are the needs in the market that we're missing? 
and I traveled mostly in person, interviewed over 200 people across US and Europe and, and a little bit outside of that, doctors, patients, nurses, educators, parents, anyone in the ecosystem, you know, just classic questions. What's a good day? What's a bad day? And then asking why, 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 tell me more. And, and we synthesized that information. A, a lot of things came out of it, but, but the big one that changed the course of my, my career in life was, and, and this sounds so obvious now, this is all we talk about, but in 2006, it, at least in my world, it, it never was. Yeah. The right data was not getting to the right people at the right place at the right time. But more important, the data wasn't being turned into information, knowledge, actions, and outcomes. And so that, that kind of sent me on a journey. I said, well, this is clearly going to require things that we don't find in healthcare. So I started hanging out and talking to the technology companies. It's amazing. Some of these don't exist anymore, like Motorola and Nokia, um, yes. you, you know, it was with Microsoft, Qualcomm, et cetera. And I said, I don't know what I'm looking for, but I know you have what we need. It was a perfect moment in time because they said, we've got some guys in the basement and they said, one day someone from healthcare is going to come here and we should be ready. <laughs> it was just this, this perfect moment. And, uh, and I met some really amazing people uh, that turned out to be the founders of WellDoc. So Ryan and Suzanne, and I was blown away by what they had done. Again, this is pre-iPhone, pre-us talking about big data. They had turned data into knowledge that was actionable on a cell phone, on these flip phones, on Java, G2ME, Brew. And, and I, I said, that that is what I've been looking for. I didn't quite know what I was looking for, but then I saw it and, uh, and built a relationship with them. And, you know, kind of fast forward, long story short, I ended up joining WellDoc as chief commercial officer. We launched the first digital therapy um, and our FDA clearance, like 2011, it was yeah. first formulary contract, 2013, RCTs published 2012. It's, it's just amazing because uh, to some degree, the industry is still, today where we were then so th this is another big lesson about you know being a lunatic or not um, but uh but when you think back how far we have come the the objections and concerns that were brought up over and over to us well this will never work no one will ever use it people don't you know are too too old to use cell phones um the 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 regulators won't approve it no one will pay for it Doctors won't prescribe it. I mean, the, there was this list of like 10 things. And minimum. you look over the minimum. next 10 years. Minimum. <laughs> minimum. You know, we now have this whole industry of people in the trade shows were like 30 people and then 300 people and then 3,000 people. And collectively, we've retired a lot of that. Thankfully, on the technology side, that it really wasn't the healthcare community proving to the world that people could have smartphones, that they could use these no matter what their age were. Um, but, but on things like regulatory, you know, um, mm -hmm. myself, a lot of others, we work closely with the FDA. They actually were amazing. Other regulators around the world kind of began to follow suit. We established pathways. At the end of the day, they weren't too different than the pathways for, for regulated devices beforehand. Um, on the investment side, that, that's just night and day different, not in terms of just volume. That's obvious, right? That we're, we're investing a whole lot more, billions and billions. Yep. But, but back then we would go to a, a, an investor and they would say, oh, your, your software, go talk to the technology team. And then yeah. they'd say, oh, wait, you're a medical device? Go talk to the healthcare team. 
and neither of them it wasn't investable to either of them because they they couldn't really understand the intersection of it now you know you can't find a vc that doesn't have kind of the the digital health and the cross of healthcare and and, and a dedicated uh, sort of yeah so that's it, fascinating it, it it's it's been an exciting experience to to kind of watch and and then you know when you think about where we are today and kind of what's right around the corner largely digital health hasn't scaled um, I think the I think the community largely believes it's going to be an important part of the future that that you know we have proven it in some cases that there is a strong willingness to believe it's going to be super impactful and powerful uh, there there might be some things that are very consumer driven that have maybe large adoption take like a noom uh, you know incredible TV advertising and fewer barriers because it's cash pay. But, but on more of the regulated front or the reimbursed front, we're, we're still hard pressed to find solutions that have scaled to millions and millions of patients like a classic medical device or drug or, or you know, physical therapy service. And so that's a lot of what I've been focusing on lately. Yeah. So be, before we sort of keep, keep going, there is one story and, and for our listeners and viewers here, and again, we'll keep getting to it. Uh, Chris was a guest on season one of our DTX podcast. Um, and actually Chris's episode was in the top one or two. I don't remember the, the number and the name of, of the most episode, listened to, is it? Say, say it again. Of the most listened to episode. Yeah. Of the most listened to episode. Episode 13. Well, so it was number it was number thirteen, but it was the most. Yeah, but it was like number one in performance. Gotcha. <laughs> yes, exactly. Exactly. Sorry if I was. <laughs> but anyway, the name of the episode was, uh, you know, the future of DTX may not be DTX at all. And your comment, Chris, around the fact that you know things that have not scaled, especially on the prescription side at all. Can you talk a little bit about you know your hypothesis and why? And of course, we'll. We'll, we'll, we'll get into that. I mean, there's a number of reasons, but I think two of the biggest, one is that the commercial spend just hasn't gotten there yet. Show me a consumer product, a, a um, medical device or a drug that doesn't have a launch budget well into the tens of millions, maybe even hundreds of millions. That this is a, it's just a reality, right? If you yep. want people to be aware of a product that they've never knew existed, let alone a new category or something that they're very unfamiliar with, it takes a lot of communication and messaging. So I think we're still a little too early for some of that spend to occur. Maybe it should have, maybe it shouldn't, but it hasn't yet. So that, that's number one. But number two is, uh, especially on things that aren't, you know, kind of a true consumer kind of play is that they haven't fit into the provider's workflow from a logistical standpoint, from a, a payment standpoint. And though that's just incredibly important. Uh, it's something that, that Amalgam, we're very focused on. How do we help with that? How do we help patients and providers understand what these are? How do we help them prescribe them? How do we help them use them? How do we do it in a way that they don't do any extra step, any extra work? Everything is in a stream that they normally do. How far we do? Sorry. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. No, no, no. Go ahead. I go feel ahead. Like I need to get into the rhythm. Yeah, correctly. go for it. Go like for it. Jim, Jim does it. Um, I was just <laughs> we ask we you step on each other's toes all the time, so don't worry about yes. it. Yes. All good. Thank you for the permission. Um, Chris, what 
how long do you think it's going to take? And the reason I say this is I was just telling Eugene a couple of weeks ago that when I talk to a lot of my colleagues who are very much in practice, honestly, all the stuff that I do in my world is a little alien to them. Like it's, it's so different. It's like, oh, tell me about the stuff you do, right? Like it's, it's kind of like on the side here. Um, and, and I hope my uncle doesn't watch this. I still get texts every week from my uncle with pictures. He's an ophthalmologist. So I get pictures of, that he's taken of different patients pre post surgery. And he's like, it's still not too late <laughs> to switch back. And so how long do you think it's going to take until, until all of these guys um, know what we're talking about and it's part of their, their day-to-day? So at CES, I want to say 2014-ish, it's probably on YouTube somewhere, I gave a talk and I had a slide that said the last five years was the Wild West and we were inventing a lot of this digital health. So that was like you know 2010 to 2014-15. I said the next five years, so up to like 2020, would be us proving that it works and, and really building things at a commercial grade level. And then the next five years, which is what we're in now, and we're mm-hmm. almost halfway into it, would be about scale. And I, I know when I put up that slide, the audience, one, didn't want to hear it, two, thought, you know, now nah, nah, the world doesn't change, you know, changes faster, this is digital. I um, you know, have unfortunately had a career long enough to know it probably doesn't. And, I, and I've done case studies. Like you look at Facebook or Google, they didn't you know, scale to a billion people in three years. So, so right. you know, and those are the premier examples of rapid scale. Yeah. Uh, and you, know, you take almost anything in healthcare that becomes a standard of care, it's at least 10 years since it launched in, in, in general. Um, so it's quite interesting. I, I might've been, three to five years too aggressive. Um, so we're probably- Listen, con- considering you don't have a crystal ball, Chris, that's that's pretty impressive though, right? And actually, um, you know, the, the, the point that you just brought up around, you know, the first five years, the second five years, and now we're in this kind of scaling mode. So I think this is probably a good time to, uh, to really talk about our DTX season two podcast. So we're, t- the three of us kicking off season 10, of the shot, but there's no rhyme or reason to the seasons. But the 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 DTX podcast is season two, and I'm happy to announce that Chandana will be my partner in crime as Doctor No Crack, which we'll need to explain that. I'm privileged. Thank you. Awesome. And Chris, I still remember I sent an email after season one, um, and uh, oh, look at that, Jim. Jim is uh, texting me from his flight. Jealous that we're doing this. There you go. How's he texting you from his flight? Eh, you know, it's modern technology. Technology. <laughs> um, but anyway, I remember, I remember sending an email uh, thanking every guest uh, on the season one podcast. Uh, and I do remember, Chris, you kind of sent back and saying, let's, let's talk. Uh, would, would love to be the presenting partner. And so um, welcome and thank you for that. Uh, so Dan Kendall and I and uh, Chandana is joining us on this journey. So the reason I bring this up, that, that third five years, so the, this season will actually focus on more evidence and you know, health consumer outcomes and, and usability, but also that commercialization and scale, which is you know, the, the evidence is already here. Yes, there's more being built. Um, and so we'd love to kind of hear a little bit of the amalgam story as well, just because you guys are not a traditional uh, 
you know, you've been sort of just building and building somewhat quietly, right? Um, yeah. All of a sudden you announce an acquisition, all of a sudden you're doing more. So we'd love to hear a little bit more. Yeah, well, well first we're, we're really proud to kind of support season two. Uh, you know, I, I think there's two things that we always have to remember. I mean, at least people like me, I'm a business guy. I, get, I keep thinking about the business. One is what is the patient perspective? Um, but the other one is that all of these companies, all of the entrepreneurs, all the intrapreneurs, these are people behind the businesses, people behind the headlines that we raised 10 million or 100 million. And Eugene, what I love about the podcast is you bring that to life. And I, I just, you know, I'm, I want to work in an industry where we actually care about the people and we're not all widgets. And yep. uh, so, so that, that's something I just really wanted to support. Yeah, appreciate That's you and the whole team. Yeah, same. And obviously, I'm so delighted to be part of this. And I agree with you, Chris. I think what I loved about season one that Eugene brought out is it definitely has some of the most informative bits um, in the digital therapeutics industry. But also, like you say, I think it really unearthed the person behind behind magic, so to speak, or behind the, the nuggets of, of knowledge, you know, so yeah, I'm um, hoping we can do more this this time. So, I mean, your, your, your second question. So at, at Amalgam, we, we really focus on enabling patients and providers to make the best decision possible and to do it in the moment that it matters. Um, we, we do this at scale uh, for health systems, for payers, for life sciences companies. So we're more of an enabler, kind of B2B to patient. Um, we're, we're supporting millions of patients on four continents. Sometimes we're, we're helping them with a decision-making tool like a digital therapy in the patient's hand. Sometimes it's decision support within the EHR. We really have a novel platform that's uh, unlike anything that else that's out there so that we can analyze all the data that's, and then make personalized recommendations to the health system, to the insurance, to the patient, to the record at the moment that the doctor and the patient are, are trying to make decisions. And then the really cool part is when those two come together. So maybe we're doing a regulated software as a medical device algorithm, but embedding it in the EHR to, to help identify a rare disease patient or a patient that's about to have an event or to help uh, titrate a medication. So, the, and so that's kind of where a lot of things around this scale, engaging providers and digital therapies all begin to come together. And Chris, even just based on what you've said there and my awareness of Amalgam and your kind of suite of offerings, right? I think it varies from being, you're building the SAMD platform, which is fully regulated end-to-end, -end, but sometimes it's, you know, maybe just a patient support program that is not necessarily regulated, right? And so it, it spans the whole spectrum. Um, can you say a little bit about the choice between the two, what factors determine one or the other, and what are some of the routes to market if you went one way or another? Yeah, so a number of us at Amalgam have been in digital health for quite a while, and a number of us have built point solutions. So we're taking all that experience and saying, the world needs more nimble platform plays. They need to be able to pick and pack and pull things together and deploy them for a particular use case much faster with lower risk at higher quality. So we've developed kind of a modular platform for digital solutions. And kind of like I said on, on the prior podcast that you know the term digital therapy, maybe it needs to be put to bed, you know, not 
Not in every case, it was, but it really served a purpose of helping the world get their head around that there's this piece of software that can be regulated and prescribed. And, and we still need to champion that. But the point is not to make a digital therapy. The point is to make a digital solution that helps a patient in different use cases. And, and those digital solutions can take many shapes and forms. They can sometimes be regulated, sometimes unregulated. Sometimes they have a human component, like an amazing coach behind it, or maybe they have uh, you know, a human that, that actually shows up as part of the solution, or maybe it's peer-to-peer yeah. -peer support. From a patient's perspective, they need all of that. It doesn't always have to come in one solution, but yeah. as an enablement company, we're agnostic to, you know, we, we say, what is the use case? What's the business objective? And then, you know, how do we know this is going to help the world? And then you make the decisions. Okay, well, we need to use VR. We need to use regulated algorithms. We need to use, you know, something in the EHR. So you make those technology and regulatory decisions after you understand the use case and the business case. And, and the business case is definitely something that um, is also at that beginning of the, of the journey of really figuring out how to scale it. And I, I look at it as three buckets and I'm probably missing something that we'll find out over time. But one is there's this consumer pay model. Um, the other one is that there's a reimburse model and there's many different flavors underneath that, like a buy and bill or a direct reimbursement and different pathways. Then, then the other one is, is it a value add to something that already generates revenue, like a drug, like a device, like some other service? And, and when we're helping you know, third parties, payers, providers, or, or um, life sciences companies, my first question is, what is your business objective? It's amazing how often that's very unclear. Nothing wrong with that, but, but it is amazing that that, that comes so much later in the process sometimes. So we, we try and help them understand the, the options, help them lean one or the other. And what you choose to aim at first doesn't have to be where you're trying to end up or where you'll accidentally end up. But um, they each, I, I was on a uh, masterclass this morning with Health Excel yeah. and Dr. Clough was giving a great presentation on clinical trials and digital health. And, and it led to some of these conversations uh, about commercialization and about evidence. The reason why it's so important to know your business objective is things like the evidence you create supports different business models. Right. If you want reimbursement, you probably need peer reviewed, published, high quality evidence. We don't argue if that's good or bad, but that's kind of the de facto right now. Yeah. If you're trying to do something value add, it might be more of just making sure that a provider understands what it is, that it doesn't disrupt their workflow, that there's no additional friction coming from their patients, and that somehow they derive an economic, clinical, or, or efficiency value. And, right. and, the, and you know they're going to ask, does it work clinically, but they don't need to see a pile of published papers. So you know, the business models in my mind drive your regulatory pathway, drive your clinical evidence pathway, drive which distribution channels, which what investment you make in sales and marketing. So these are all pretty important. And, and some of us have <clears throat> lived through almost all of the ones I've described in different ways. And some of us yeah. are learning. The, the one thing I learned, uh, you know, here we are trying to change behavior of patients or maybe even providers sometimes. And, and the one thing I've learned about human behavior, those of us in business, we always have to learn it ourselves. 
you, you can have someone tell you, well, I've experienced it 10 times already. And until they hit their head on the wall, uh, yep. you, just, you just hope yep. that when they hit their head, they recognize it faster. And then they're very open to- Or, or at least have a, like a little bit of a pad, right? Just so you don't hit it as hard as the previous person, so. Yes, yeah. and it doesn't mean we know the answers if we've been through it. We just sometimes know what didn't work. Yeah. I think everything you've said makes so much sense. And you kind of answer well, what I was going to ask you. Is, you know, have you noticed that there's a bigger demand? This, this, do a majority of your clients come in and say, hey, I want to go down this path, but sounds like you try to unbundle that and say, okay, tell me what your business objective is. And then we'll, we'll try to help you navigate and find what the right path is, which, you know, obviously makes, makes total sense. Yeah, the, the, big, the big change is, and this is in the last, three years, most of those large companies are at a minimum incredibly open and at a maximum have said, we're only going to be working with people that know how to do this from now on. Yeah. And, and like when I was at BCG advising the CEOs in 2015, it was like, I don't even know why Chris is in the room. 2016, I know he should be here, but I don't know why. 2017, I've got a VP and a little bit of budget. 2018, we've got a whole team working on this. 2019, we did pilots. 2020, they failed. 2021, <laughs> we need to work with people to know how to do this. So, so um, you know, there was a really cool headline yesterday with uh, with Evermed and, and Bozadar, who a lot of people know from his role of digital therapy. At That's right. Therapy. And you know, yeah. Novartis licensed a kind of Netflix, if you will, platform for medical affairs. So that you know they're not building it themselves; they're licensing it. Yeah. You can look at headline after headline now of these large companies turning and partnering and licensing from digital healthcare companies. I I think that's a good thing. I've worked both sides of you know of the equation, and um, you know it might be different ten years from now, but but right now I'm, that that's a big big change. You know, the, the only sort of, um, you know, component to this, obviously, you know, pharma companies trying to get to as many prescribing physicians within the, you know, within the regulatory framework. And so I think, you know, Bose and team has done a great job. Um, that is that is a service to a pharmaceutical company, right? That they benefit from, you know, ultimately more prescribers and better education mm -hmm. and all of that. You know, when it comes to, I think, the digital therapies, uh, whether it's companion, standalone, I, I personally think, while I agree with you, Chris, right, I think we've, we've, we've gone above and beyond what's been happening in the last five years. There's still quite a lot of playing around going on and, you know, Hail Marys and, you know, kind of throwing things against the wall and one side doesn't know the other. So I think we still got a long way to go, but, you know, back to kind of your, your comments around, you know, yes, there's the consumer, the reimbursement, there's value add. And I think pharma is looking at all of those, right? Um, they, they have to be. Yeah. yeah. And, and the big, the evolved pharma companies or others realize, you know, we throw stuff at the wall and we try over and over in our R&D. I mean, you know, I don't remember the statistics, but, you know, like one in 10,000 molecules makes yeah. it, you know, to phase two. We just need to do that on more on the commercial side on digital. So it's like the funnel is is reversed. And when they get comfortable with that and they get comfortable with it's OK if something didn't work the first time because we learned it might have helped a patient, but it didn't fit in the workflow or vice versa. 
So it's, it's funny. I still remember the story when I first started with the pharma company. That was in June. September, I went to a health 2.0 and ended up on this panel in the morning that Matthew Holt threw me on, like, you know, pharma industry, digital health, right? So I'm in this big, giant gorilla company. And, you know, I think one of the things that I said on the panel was after just a few short months in, in, a, in a pharmaceutical, I said, R&D, it's exactly what, you know, you test a hypothesis constantly, right? You can't, I mean, that's, that's ingrained in the DNA from an R&D perspective. Why can't we apply the same thing on the commercial side, right? And, and how do we get there quick and faster? So I think it, it certainly is evolving from, from years ago. I, I got maybe one, one more, right? And I think, um, you know, uh, last season we had uh, in the DTX podcast, we had Brian Dolan with probably one of the tougher questions um, to you around Amalgam, its history. How come you didn't raise any funds? Um, you know, just been hacking away at it. And because we have lots of investors and entrepreneurs watching, we'd love a little bit of a refresher here. Uh, on kind of the, the growth and the growth trajectory of Amalgam and, and where you guys are going next? We took the approach of most of us were pretty <clears throat> experienced in terms of the founding team, the executive team, and we didn't need a lot of money to go and learn. What we needed to do was go and apply our learnings. And by doing that, we could generate revenue almost immediately in the first year Amalgam was able to do that. We've been able to grow revenue every single year. We're, we're not not trying to raise, you know, say a large institutional round, but but I think there's there's a moment in time where your funnel expands that when you have the money, you push it through and it gets productive. But up until that point, it doesn't matter how much money you have, it it can't get through that funnel. And you know, in the investing world, they tend to crawl that kind of the, the growth phase. And and for us. That's kind of where we're at. We're beginning to ask ourselves, you know, how how much should we be self-funded versus, you know, kind of invest ahead of revenue. But it's nice to be in that position. And nothing right or wrong. I've been part of an exit that, that was incredibly bootstrapped and did very well. And I've been part of companies that have raised a whole lot of money. Um, so you know, kind of to each his own. But but that that's a little bit of our our history. Yeah. Awesome. Well, um, yeah. Go ahead. Uh, yeah, um, I, I have a question for you, Chris. I, I actually really love that, right? Um, it actually is a testament to if you hire the right people who've kind of been there, done that, number one, you've kind of, you know, the basics, so you're not, you know, trying, you're not spending a lot of years and, and money doing those bits, but at the same time, I think with the evolution on, on the client side, I think there's this greater trust and credibility as well that you've already built, so I think it's a really nice model. Um, and just for everybody listening, as well as, you know, me and everybody else, if, if you could go back in time and do something differently, um, you, you obviously have an illustrious career path and you've done a lot of really great and amazing and the right things, I would say, but what would you do differently, if anything? Well, I'm, I'm sure there are probably a lot of things and, and you could look at it from kind of a career and a life perspective and on, on a digital health perspective, I think the number one piece of advice that I started giving myself, uh, you know, a little bit later in my digital health journey is get out there in the market and learn. And, and you know, it's maybe some of my past roles, we were trying to get the model just perfect or get someone to pay mm. for it before we got it out there and tried it. And, 
So the, that's advice I've given to myself and to others, you know, uh, on, a, on a personal basis, it's um, probably that your wife is always right. Um, or <laughs> the other thing, like never gets old, never gets old. <laughs> on a work standpoint, th this has been interesting. I remember we started the conversation, me saying I didn't want to take biology classes, chemistry, but I didn't want to be a, a doctor. I didn't want to go into healthcare. I, I literally said this is the only sector that I don't want to go into, mostly because I didn't enjoy biology and chemistry, and I figured that was close to it. And I accidentally ended up in it uh, about a year into my career. I was put into a pharmaceutical company by Procter and Gamble, and and that has been my career for the next twenty years, which has been incredibly re rewarding. So I, I was clearly wrong, but but also you do pause and go. Healthcare is really hard, and you can make a big impact. But I've definitely asked myself, should I have just gone into like travel and entertainment? Like, like what kind of life would you have if you're doing something that was really fun and you weren't trying to change the world so much? And, so, you know, these are conversations I have with my kids. Like, what are you passionate about? And, uh, and, and also, you know, your career doesn't have to be the same thing. But, but in digital health, uh, you know, get out there, test, learn. Well, as, as, you, as you started, you know, as a, as a business person, uh, as far as driving new business, you know, always be selling, always be closing. But I think a key component of that is always be learning, right? So, yeah. awesome. Well, Chris, thank you for hopping on with us. Chandana, Jim is going to be blown away. Uh, you, you, you've, you've done great. I'm not so, invited so I've, got, I've, I've got the gig. I've got the gig. <laughs> you've got the gig. <laughs> Uh, two gigs, two gigs now, three gigs. if you count the health Excel, right? The the real yes. gig. So the real gig. Yeah, Chris, it's pleasure to have you, and so nice to talk to you here. So thanks so much for joining us. Good to see you both.